Philemon, 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 however, whatever part of the country you come from, Philemon, a great little uh, one chapter, but you're going to see that it is packed, and you're going to see why the Holy Spirit, why the Father, why the Son put this book in here, because it points to Jesus, and, and we should be acting like our God, our Creator, our Savior. We should be a reflection of Him. We are ambassadors for Christ. I entitled the message, Forgive and Forget. One of the toughest things we have to deal with in our lives because we've all had someone that's harmed us. We've all had someone that's wronged us. And it's really easy for us to hang on to that for even years. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes you can forget about it. And then somebody brings up, you know, something from 20 years ago and you're all fired up just like it just happened to you right now. And as Christians, we know that we've been forgiven so much. How could we not forgive? We know that Jesus said, if we don't forgive, the Father in heaven won't forgive us. What does that mean as Christians? We lose our salvation? No, that's not what it means. It means that if you're unwilling to forgive when God's forgiven you so much, and you won't do it, he's not really listening to your requests. He's going to put you on the shelf. He's not going to use you like he wants to. You're not going to be receiving the full blessings that God has for you and wants you to have. Because why? Because you're stubborn. Stubbornness is idolatry. Rebellion is as witchcraft. And when we say we can't forgive, when we stop to remember how much we've been forgiven, something's seriously wrong with us. Now, now as Christians, we, we know what we're supposed to do, and oftentimes we will tell somebody, oh yeah, I forgave them, but you really didn't, right? And, and then, but I think there's one thing that's even tougher than forgiving. It's forgetting. I love it how the Lord chooses to forgive us and then cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. So how far is that? I mean, you, you can go as far north as you can, but you're going to eventually hit top north and you're going to have to go south. But when it's going, you can go east for eternity. Just keep going east. So what is he saying? He says he, he chooses to forgive you and cast it as far as the east is from the west. He chooses to forget about you in the sense of your sin. So when God the Father looks at you, he sees the blood of Jesus on you, and he goes, oh, he's one of ours. Isn't that the good news? Clothed in his righteousness, where, where God has forgiven you because of what Jesus did at the cross for all of your sins, not only past, not only present, for what you're going to do this week. And he's already established you in the family of God, and the, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to get you to the finish line. And as we've been growing in the Lord, as we've been born again, we can honestly say I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I should be. I'm still a work in progress. And God's going to change me from glory to glory to the, to the time where I stand in his presence. And it's all finished. I've got a new body. A new body that cannot sin. Because why? Because I'm in heaven in the presence of the glory of God. That is so great. So our challenges come in our lives when God, even though you are living a holy life, you're, you're doing your best to live for the Lord Jesus, you're, you're serving, you're doing all the things he's asking you to do, 
forgiving is probably one of the hardest ones we deal with. Because when somebody goes out of their way and hurts you, and you've all been hurt, man, I'll tell you what, sometimes it's just so hard to forget. Because I can say I forgive somebody, and we can restore that, that relationship, right? But if some little friction happens down the road, say a couple months, few months, a year, isn't it funny how immediately we go, there they are, the same old guy I know. Acting the same, nothing's changed. I wonder how many times God said that about me. Well, there goes Steve. Are you surprised, Gabriel, Michael? See what I got to work with? Thank God for His grace and His mercy. But as a child of God, we need to extend that same grace and mercy towards one another. What breaks my heart more than anything is when people at church got a problem with each other. And someone sits on this side, someone sits on that side. We're we're polite, but you know what? We're not doing what God tells us to do. So here we see a challenge here. Philemon, Philemon is a wealthy man. He's, he's a man that, that is saved. He's having church in his house. He's got a big piece of property. Uh, in those days, most people had slaves. The Roman Empire actually had more slaves than Roman citizens. They were outnumbered three to one. Just think if the slaves would have known that. They could have rose up, overthrown all the households, and taken over Rome real quick. And so when a slave would run off, usually the consequence is they put him to death because they want to set an example for the other slaves. They don't want the other slaves to, to try to do what they did. So here's the situation. Here's what's different. Philemon gets saved. Paul leads him to the Lord. Philemon has slaves in his house, no doubt praying for the slaves in his house, no doubt leading them to Christ. Philemon has this one slave, Onesimus. Onesimus steals from him. We don't know if it was money or stuff or maybe both. Makes a run to Rome, probably thinking, you know what, Colossia, where this is taking place, is, you know, this place is a pit. And look at how crazy it is here. I need to get to Rome. There's, you know, it's always something better somewhere else, right? And Onesimus goes to Rome only to find out that Rome is just as out of control as anywhere else. But he runs smack dab into the Apostle Paul, and he gets born again. And Paul's going to send him back to his owner. And Philemon's going to have to choose whether he can forgive him, but not only that, but forget. So the challenge is really there. There was a lot of slaves in the Roman Empire, and I don't want you to think of it like when we think of slavery, we think of what happened in our country. Yes, there were those slaves that were abused. I get that. But most of them were not abused. Many of them had uh, debts that they had to pay. They couldn't pay their debts, so they would go into slavery to earn the money to pay their debt to be set free. That was common. A common slave cost uh, uh, five Hundred denarii, one denarii was for a day's wages, so a year and a half wages to buy a slave. And they would be part of your home. And, and, but also they had like really high up there what they called slaves that went for 50,000 denarii. Now these were folks that were trained highly, 
whether it was in uh, medical or uh, uh, accounting or a lawyer or administration, you know, organizing, because many people had lots of slaves. Some people had 10 slaves. Some people had 10,000 slaves. You need somebody to organize that. There were senators that had 200,000 slaves. You know, had a whole empire going, and you had to have somebody with the skills to take care of those people, and they were greatly loved by the slave owners. It wasn't like what you think. That's why, in a lot of cases, when their time was done, if they just loved their master so much, they said, listen, I, I want to be a bond slave. And they would take them and put them to the doorpost and pierce their ear, and that earring meant that they chose to serve their master. And that's why Paul constantly was using, I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ. You know, you've been bought with a price. You're not your own. You're his. Are you still trying to call the shots? I hear people tell me stuff like, you know, Jesus, yeah, he's my co-pilot. I go, bro, you need to switch seats. <laughs> As bond servants, we are to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit to be used how God wants us to be used and to do his will. And it's so important for that. So the situation here is Onesimus is, has been on the run, but now he's born again. Do you think that uh, Philemon and his family prayed for their slaves, their servants? Absolutely. Do you think they shared the gospel? Absolutely. You, you wonder why Onesimus wouldn't choose Jesus. But, you know, sometimes in our rebellion, you might have a kid in your house that's in rebellion, that grew up in the church, but at one point they got to make their own decision for Jesus Christ. And all you can do is lay that groundwork. But many of you know, and many of you have had prodigals that have ran away from Jesus, and they went right into the world, and they, they went to what they thought was the answer, the world, and, and it was in the world that they ran straight into Jesus through someone else. And isn't it funny, the things that you told them all their life, they come back and they start telling you those things because they heard it from someone else? And you just go, praise God. Because here's the thing, you're going to reach some people I can't, and I'm going to reach some people you can't. And that's why we need to be available, because, you know, when you lead someone to the Lord, guaranteed that wasn't the first time they heard the gospel. So we're all in this together. So you go out there, and some of you are throwing seed, nothing really seems to come of it. The rest of you are, you know, you're watering those seeds. And, and, then, and then somebody comes in and closes the deal, but it's not you, it's God closing the deal. And you just happen to be there for the opportunity. But it's so great when you feel like God is using you. So I want you to know this, that even if you share the gospel and nobody responds, you did exactly what God asked you to do. You fulfilled your ministry and your calling. You were faithful, because you, you don't save anybody. He says, go share with that guy. You're like, this is not good, Lord. That guy is not nice. He says, go share. And, you know, I've heard testimonies of people going up to the most radical people and, and someone being filled with the Holy Spirit and sharing the gospel with somebody so radical to have that person just break down in tears and give their heart to the Lord. Because why? Because you were faithful. Like we talked about last week, yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 22 of Philemon. Um, I'm reading from the King James. You're, you're, there's some words there you're going to have troubles with because there's going to be places where, uh, you know, Paul's going to say, you refresh my bowels. 
And when you think of bowels, it's like not a good thought. You, you know what I mean? Uh, that's Old English. And, and what it really means is he refreshed his heart. To remember that our feelings don't come from our brain, right? Your brain thinks it, but your body feels it. You know, like when you say, oh, I got goosebumps, you know, because you're feeling something. Or you ever heard somebody say, I've got a gut feeling the bowels. I've got a gut feeling about it. Well, why are you making that decision? I've got a gut feeling about it. And isn't it funny, like, when something happens where if, if you got laughter, laughter, the Bible says, is a medicine, right? So when we laugh, your whole body is laughing, right? And you just feel so good. It's, it's a medicine. But, you know, when you get bad news, what happens is that all of a sudden, I've seen people throw up getting bad news. I've seen people like they, you know, you get a bad breakup. You can't eat for days. Why? Because you feel it right here in your bowels. So that's what he's saying when he refers to that. Now, isn't it interesting when you don't feel like eating and you feel like throwing up, as soon as you get good news, all of a sudden that all goes away. So he says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I'd rather beseech thee, being such as one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is my own bowels, whom I have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother, beloved, specially to me, but how much more unto you, to thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he has wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put it on my account. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto you, knowing that you, thou, wilt also do more than I say. But withal, prepare me also lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I, I shall be given unto you. Father, we thank you for your word. What a great reminder. And Lord, I pray that you would work in everyone's heart today to not only forgive, but to forget. 
because you've done so much for us, Lord. God, bless this time as we look into this letter. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. What a challenge. What a challenge. Paul structures this letter so perfectly. You can see him building the case, building the case, building the case, building the case, and then closing the deal. Paul was brilliant when it came to writing letters. You know, because he's, he's, like, he's like talking to Philemon. He's, he's, he welcomes him. He's, he's, he's blessed by all that he's hearing about it. Man, you're doing a great job. And boy, what I'm hearing, how, you're, how the saints are responding to you. And, uh, you know, then I got a favor to ask of you. And, and then he, uh, he hits the punchline. Um, I want you to receive my son who uh, I received in my, bound, in my chain when I was bound up with chains, and uh, it's, his name is Onesimus. And you could just see Philemon go. You ever been like that? You ever been like that when, when someone's wronged you, and, and, uh, and then somebody brings up their, na- your, their name, and you're like, ooh. Even as a Christian, right? We're in church, be honest. And, and, but we don't know how... Uh, we don't know how Philemon responded. We don't know if when he found out these things about Onesimus, did he go, praise the Lord, hallelujah? Or did he go, that dirty rat? Because you've got to remember, in Rome, if you were a runaway, your master could put you to death. But now the master is a born-again Christian who's opened his house up, and Paul strategically has put this letter out not only for Philemon, but for his wife, for his son, and for the church. And at the end of the letter, he's going to say, oh yeah, and everybody who's with me knows I wrote this letter. And they say, hi. No pressure. Here's what you could do. I could, I could make you do this. I'm not going to make you do it, but you know, here's what you, I, I'm hoping you'll do. And so Paul presents this letter in such a way, it's amazing, because we need to forgive. And if someone's wronged you, and they weren't saved, and then they got saved, that should be a blessing to you. Matthew 5.23 tells us this, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, go your way, First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. God says take care of your problems. Quit blowing it off. Quit quit acting like it's their problem. Take some initiative. If you take the initiative, they don't receive it, that's on their head. But God wants you to forgive. And so he says here in verse 1, he says, I'm Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Isn't that interesting? This is the first time I think I've ever heard him say it like that. Usually it's like, this is Paul, an apostle of God, appointed by Jesus Christ, or something in that realm. And what's unique about this, he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, a prisoner of Jesus. He's in prison in Rome, okay? This is his first imprisonment. This is where we get the prison epistles, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Philemon. This is where Paul would later be released, but he didn't know that, but he was chained to a Praetorian guard. That's a member of Caesar's household. They were the radical, they were like the Navy SEALs of the time, Delta Force. And every four hours he'd get a new guard. And Paul was so excited in prison. 
because Rome was chained to him. He wasn't chained to Rome. Can you imagine not knowing the Lord and being chained to the Apostle Paul? And every four hours you get fresh stuff. You get a new guy. And, and then at the end of the epistles, he's saying, you're saying all the Caesar's household greet you. He was leading Caesar's household to Jesus Christ. And Paul was such a gangbuster on going out and spreading the gospel to take time to write letters wasn't something he really did. So God had to slow him down, put him in prison so he could write these prison epistles that we're all benefiting from. God ever have to slow you down? God ever, have, God ever take you out with something physical? He's done it to me. So busy, so busy, so busy serving the king. I'm not spending time with the king. Oh, let me take care of that. Right? He does it because he loves you. He doesn't take you to the woodshed because he enjoys it. But to those whom he loves, he rebukes and chastens. Sometimes we just got to get back on track. Amen? Paul writing these letters chained to a praetorian guard was furthering the gospel he realized he wasn't there because of rome he wasn't there because of religious pharisees he was there because jesus christ allowed him to be there i say that to you whatever you're going through right now if you're loving on god and you're doing your best and you found yourself in a in a tough spot you are there because God allowed it for some purpose that you don't know yet, but you will find out because you're going to be ministering to people that you never would have ministered unless you were in this situation. And you're going to be doing things you never would have done unless you're in this situation. And God is going to use it for the good. Why? You're his. He's got a plan. And his plan is good. And so he says, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus, Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia. Now, most historians think Aphia was Philemon's wife and Archippus was their son, a fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. And so he, uh, most, most fellowships in the, in the first century were all in homes, and this guy had a big house, so he had the church there. And then Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a typical uh, greeting by Paul, grace and peace. Uh, he always puts grace first because we are saved by grace. And you have to experience the grace of God before you can experience the peace of God. You can't experience the peace of God until you realize that you are saved not of works. You're saved by the grace of God. He did it all. You got nothing to bring to the table. You didn't die on the cross. He died on the cross. He paid for your sins, past, present, and future. That's the word of God. He died. He rose again on the third day. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He has paid the price. He's put the gift out there to you. And all you got to do is show up and say, you know what? You're right. I believe in everything you did, Lord. I'm only saved by what you did, and I'm going to take this gift because I got nothing to do with it. I got nothing to bring to the table. I can't buy my way to heaven. I can't work my way to heaven. You know why he doesn't allow works? It's because we'd all be up in heaven boasting. How'd you get in? Well, you should have seen what I did. That wouldn't be heaven. So he says, listen, here's the deal. I did it all. You know... <laughs> I get people all the time, they ask me about the sovereignty of God. Like, they're really, they're really, they don't understand it. 
I don't want, I'm not sure what there's not to understand. It's so simple. God is sovereign. It's real easy for me to accept that He's the creator of all things and He makes up the rules. I think that what I got a problem with is the sovereignty of man. Because God gives you something that's pretty scary. It's called free will. And He won't mess with that. That means that you have the opportunity to turn your back on the creator of the universe. He's offering you a gift today. Get saved. Say, Jesus, I know you paid the price for my sins on the cross. Forgive me of my sins. Save me. And you become a child of God. And you have eternal life. So beautiful, so beautiful. So you'll never find the peace of God until you've experienced the grace of God. Wherefore, we are justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You receive His grace, then you receive His peace. And there's a difference having peace with God and the peace of God. For some Christians right now, you don't have the peace of God. you got peace with God through Jesus Christ by, your, by His grace. But you don't have the peace of God because you're letting what you're going through right now destroy you. Let it go. Take your, do what Hezekiah did. When the 185,000 Assyrians surrounded and they said, give up, you're going to die. And sent that letter to Hezekiah. What did he do? He took that letter and he set it before the, the altar and he said, Letters for you. I'm encouraging you guys to take your junk, take the stuff you're going through, and go, Lord, it's, it's yours. Amen. Grace and peace be, uh, be from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 4. Verse 4 is awesome. He says, he says I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers, bearing of your, hearing of your love and faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation of your love because King James's bowels, he says, because the hearts of the saints is what it really means. Having been refreshed, by your brother. By you, brother. Excuse me. So first here we see Philemon giving thanks to God. Notice he doesn't say, Philemon, I'm hearing great things about you. You're awesome. Thank you for your service. You know, and that's okay. That's okay. I mean, I like to say thanks to our servants here. I like to know that I appreciate them. I want them to know that. But I, I love how Paul does it. He does it in a way because he sees beyond the servant Philemon. He sees God working in Philemon. And he, he's, he's saying, Philemon, wow. I just thank God for what I see him doing through you. Wow, it ain't you, bro. It's God. And I got to say that for some of the folks in, that are serving this church. I just thank God for what I see God doing in your life. He says, I'm praying for you always. You know, if you go through all the writings of Paul, 
even Hebrews, I, I think Paul wrote Hebrews, that's my opinion. You're going to find he's got a long prayer list. I, I, would, I would have loved to have been on his list. Because, you know, you, know you would have got prayed for. And he's like praying for everybody. He says, I pray always. He says, I'm hearing great things about you. I'm hearing about your love, your faith towards all the saints. I'm hearing that you're a refreshment. Isn't, isn't that, a, what a, it's such a joy for me to have somebody in ministry that's a spiritual refreshment. Because isn't that what we're supposed to be? We're supposed to be torrents of living water, right? We're living water. We're, we're not stagnant water. We're not pond scum, like evolution says. We are living water. We are supposed to be a spiritual refreshment. We are to be torrents of, of living water, refreshing the saints. I always think of a fire hydrant blowing full speed on a summer day with little kids jumping around in the water being refreshed. I think, I think we need to be like that. I, you, you need to be a spiritual refreshment, like, like a rainbird, you know, just get in the zone and... Spray everybody down. Get some on you. Right? When I see somebody filled with the Holy Spirit, man, I'm going over. I'm hugging them. Why? Because I want to get some of that on me. We're supposed to be overflowing with the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be filled to the point where we overflow because whatever God gives you to do, it's a gift from God, and it's not for you. It's for everybody else. So you need to catch and release. And as you catch and release, and I see somebody's in the process of catching and release, I'm going to go over and get some. Because I might walk into church like this, and then I run into Lawrence. Oh, man, and then he hugs me, and I'm lit up. I'm like, yeah, come on. Jesus, we're high-fiving. You know, you can have fun as a Christian. Did you know that? God loves you. We want to be a spiritual refreshment. So my question is, do you refresh the people that are around you? No pressure. Or do they run away when they see you? Right? Because there's those that refresh, and then there are those that are always dumping a mess on you. Right? And God love them. They're in the kingdom. I get it. You, you know, they're Christians. But you know what I'm saying? But sometimes, you know, you, you know that person that all they do is complain. All they do is talk about everybody. They're Christians, and all they do is dump your mess on them. And you see them from afar, and you're like, whoa, Jesus. You're laughing because you've done it. And then you see something from afar that's just a spiritual refreshment, just a rainbird. And you're like, bro, you're yelling from across the room. You want to get some on you. And they're just a joy to be around. I, I love to be around people that are excited about Jesus. Aren't you? I think that's what's so exciting about a missions trip. Is that we're all on fire. The, 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 the villagers are on fire because we're there. We're on fire because we're there. Nobody knows what's going to happen, but we're just on fire, just excited what Jesus is about to do. And then when he does it, we all freak out and just go, Wah! It's just so good. So, as Paul sets this letter up, basically what he's headed to is, with all the love and the good stuff I'm hearing about you, Philemon, how you're refreshing the saints, will you be able to refresh Onesimus now? And, 
And, and I don't know who the Onesimus is in your life, but God's saying that to you right now. Can, can you refresh the Onesimus in your life right now? Verse 8, he says, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my bonds, my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. Wow. So Paul says, listen, um, Philemon, I have apostolic authority. I could command you to make this thing right, but I'm not going to do that. Because I want you to do it out of love. Paul had that authority. Paul could have just went in and said, you know what? I see this is wrong. I see it's not getting taken care of right. I want you to make this thing right. Get it done. I'm telling you, I'm commanding you to do it. And he had that authority, but, but he didn't want to force Philemon to do that. He wanted Philemon to do it out of love. And I love how he says it. He says, do it yet for love's sake. I'd rather appeal to you being such one as Paul the aged. And now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul the aged. Paul was probably like 58, 59 at this point. I don't really, I would like to be 58, 59 at this point. But he's calling himself the ages, so I guess I'd be Steve the decrepit or whatever, right? (laughs) But, you know, here's the thing. This will blow you away. Because I was looking at historic stuff all week. and, And I found that the average Roman man lived only to be about 25, maybe 30. That was the life expectancy. Paul being up around 58, 59, that was, whoo, that's big stuff. But, you know, I think Paul was in a lot worse condition than I am being older than Paul at this point because he went through so much physically. I mean, he got beat up everywhere he went. He got whipped with a cat of nine tails like five times. He got beaten with rods. He got hit with rocks. He got shipwrecked. He got slugged punch, thrown in jail. I mean, so he's, he's hurting. He's hurting so bad that uh, God put a doctor with him, Dr. Luke, to travel with him because if you're going to get in trouble like him, you need your own doctor. And he had gone through a lot. So you can see what Paul is doing right now. He's, he's, he's saying, bro, I'm hearing such great things about you. I'm so happy with what's going on and everything like this. I'm, I'm in a position right now where, where, you know, I'm in prison. I can't really deal with this the way I want to. I'm going to trust you. I could command you, but I love you. I know you're going to do the right thing. But then he kind of does like a play on words there. Uh, in, in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while being in my chains, who was once unprofitable to you, but now profitable to you and to me. So he says, Paul the aged, I'm appealing to you. It's interesting that you got all this buildup, and then he says Onesimus' name. We don't know how Philemon responded. Did he cringe? Was he angry? Was he like, praise the Lord, hallelujah, Onesimus got saved? You know, like when you hear about somebody gets saved, you thought never get saved? Was he going to be ready to receive him back? And he does this play on words here. He says, I appeal to you for your son Onesimus, who I've begotten while in my chains, who was once unprofitable. Onesimus means 
profitable. So he says, Receive my son. I appeal to you from my son Onesimus, who I have begotten while in my chains, who once was Onesimus to you, but now is Onesimus to you and to me. Philemon, whose name means affectionate and kindness. See, I kind of put a play on words there. Onesimus' name means profitable. Philemon's name means affectionate and kind. And maybe God's saying, why don't you guys both live up to your names and do the right thing? <laughs> oh, God's so good. I wonder how Philemon felt when he heard the name Onesimus. And I ask you again, who's the Onesimus in your life? And I ask you this, the Onesimus that's in your life, can you love them? Can you forgive them? Can you be a refreshment to them? Verse 12, he says, I am sending him back to you, therefore, receive him. That is my own heart, bowels, whom I wish to keep with me that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntarily. He says, I want you to do this out of love. He's saying, bless my heart, Philemon. Because the danger is, Paul knows that when someone does us wrong, when someone's unprofitable to us, that it causes us, who have done no wrong, not to be kind back. And that's not what God wants for his kids. He wants you to be someone that goes above and beyond. If God asks you to do something, do that and more. God asks you to forgive, forgive and refresh. Go above and beyond. And what Paul is trying to bring to light here is apparently there was such a dramatic change in Onesimus that Paul's desire is that he would stay with him and be used by him. But he knew the law of Rome that you got to send him back to the master. The master deals with him. Paul knew that God wanted him to send him back. He wanted him to be healed. He wanted reconciliation and restoration. And so Paul's making it clear, he is so profitable to me, I'd like to keep him here, but I know I need to send him back. Paul knew he had to do the right thing. That he couldn't keep him, but send him back so the situation would be resolved. But the point that Paul is trying to make here to Philemon is that there's evidence here of a transformed life. There's evidence of a transformed life. And he talks about the importance of prayer. He goes on in verse 15. He says, for Perhaps he departed, from, departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave. A beloved brother, especially to me, and how much more to you, both in the flesh 
and in the Lord. So he's saying, listen, your relationship is totally changed now. Receive him as a brother. Receive him as a Christian, as family. And this should encourage you if you have a prodigal. Because God said he's going to finish the work he started. Train up your child in the ways of the Lord. When they're older, they won't depart. They, they, they might be a prodigal, but they'll come back. There's enough Jesus in them that the world's not that fun. And then, you know, they're, they're not coming to church because there's too much of the world in them. They don't feel right coming to church. So God will work on their hearts, and they'll get that thing right and clean up. They'll come home. And so that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, Philemon, this is what happened to Onesimus. He dug out thinking that it was better over here, and he just ran right into the world, and the world was too much, and, and uh, the Lord caught him. Do you know the Bible tells us that the Father's drawing us, the Spirit's calling us, but Jesus went after us? Jesus hunted you down. Who would ever do that? You look at all these false gods that people worship, they ain't hunting you down. They ain't going after you. They're not pursuing you. They're all, they're all angry gods. And everybody's trying to, like, appease them. And they never can. And they've got no hope. And they've got no, they've got no uh, assurance. There's one God. There is one that died for sins. His name is Jesus Christ. There is one way. There is only one way. There's not many ways. There's one way. I'm amazed there is a way. I'm amazed that the God that created everything wants anything to do with me. But he loves us so much he can't take his eyes off you. And his desires for you are good. And he says, listen, this is not your home. You're just a pilgrim passing through. And you, you, you know, just deal with it. Get the gospel out. And then I'm going to take you off to a five-star resort. Yeah, John's stoked. I'm stoked. I'm with you, John. Listen, my, what I'm trying to say is that God can take something bad in your life and make it good. When you have kids or friends that go rogue and they just got to get out of your house because, you know, it's better somewhere else, that's when they run into the world and they meet God head on. And he meets them right where they're at. And Onesimus probably felt like that. He's like, I got to get out of here. It's got to be better everywhere else. And, and then he ran to Vegas, Rome. And he goes, wow, this place stinks too. And then he ran right into Paul. Divine appointment. And there's a divine appointment for your prodigal. There's a divine appointment for your loved one. There's a divine appointment for your spouse. In verse 17 he says, if then, if you count me a partner, receive him as you would me. That's an encouragement. But if he has wronged you and owes you anything, put it on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, I will repay you. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Not going to bring it up, but just throwing that in there, you owe me your life. Not going to mention it. This portion of Scripture from 17 to 19 is the key to this whole letter. This is what this letter is all about. All the other stuff was just building up to it, building up to it, building up to it. And then he just like lays it down. Paul is closing the deal right there. This is a hard sell. 
And what he's doing and what he's saying, you cannot deny. What Paul is asking for Philemon to do for Onesimus is exactly what Christ did for us. And we're supposed to be Christ-like. We're supposed to be a reflection of God. He's saying, Philemon, do exactly what Jesus did for you. What did Jesus do for me? Jesus said to the Father, receive Steve Rex. If he's wronged you or he owes you anything, put it on my account. He's mine. Isn't that good news? Praise the Lord. It's called the doctrine of imputation. My sins are on his account. And they weren't free. My sins costed him his life on the cross. And he paid for them in full. Ephesians 1.6 says we are accepted in the beloved. Why? Because I'm clothed in his righteousness and not my own. It's not by works. Christ was the substitutionary work on the cross. And as Onesimus was in debt to Philemon, so too you and I were in debt. We had sins that we couldn't pay for, that we had to get right with God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul was in no way involved with Onesimus' sin. Onesimus' sin... Paul didn't have anything to do with that. But he said, I will cover his sin. I will put him to my account. That's the same thing that Jesus Christ did for us. Jesus Christ was in no way involved with your sin. He was sinless. But 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Praise the Lord. This is the heart of this whole letter. No pressure on Philemon, right? Oh, by the way, Philemon, you know, I wrote this letter, and oh, say hi to your wife, say hi to your, your son, and say hi to the church, because I know they're listening to this letter, and boy, you're doing great, man. I thank God for everything you're doing. You're such a spiritual refreshment, so full of faith and love towards everybody. Oh, by the way, I'm here. I want to appeal to you apart on, on behalf of my son, who, while I'm inbound in chains, I'm in prison, you're not, but would you take care of Onesimus? Would you do what Jesus Christ has done for you? Oh, by the way, I don't want to mention this, but you owe me your life. And at the end of the letter, he's going to say, everybody that's with me greets you. They all know what I wrote, and I sent it. But it's brilliant. Because it's what we should do. And I believe Philemon probably responded in a great way. He goes on to say this. Verse uh, 20, yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart, my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write unto you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Paul had confidence. Philemon, I know you're going to do what's right. You're going to even do more. And what would that more be? Would that, would that more be welcoming Onesimus into the family? Or would it be that and turning him free? freedom as not being a slave anymore but Paul was confident he says but meanwhile also prepare a guest room for me for I trust that through your prayers 
I shall be granted to you. So Paul, finishing up the letter, just says, oh, by the way, I, I'm going to come see you. I, I'm pretty confident through your prayers I'm going to get out of prison, and I'm just going to go check and see how everything went. So get a room ready for me. No pressure. Right? What is, you know what Paul's saying here, though? Guys, listen, I, if I can really press anything on you in this whole letter that we're looking at is the power of prayer. It's the thing we do the least. And the enemy knows how to distract us from doing prayer because that's how he knows that if we pray a lot, we're going to get stuff done. When we pray individually is great, but when we pray collectively, it's even more powerful. When everybody gets together. You remember when, uh, when Peter and the boys, they, got, they were per being persecuted by the religious leaders and they ran back and they told the church all about it and they started praying for boldness. What happened? The whole building shook. And the Holy Spirit fell on them and gave them boldness to preach the gospel. When we get together and pray to collectively, it's powerful. You remember um, in Acts chapter 12, Peter's in jail for preaching the gospel. Everybody's back at John Mark's house, his mom Mary. They're at his house praying, God let Peter go. God get Peter out. They're, they're praying without ceasing, nonstop, big prayer meeting. Hours are going by. They've got everything locked up because they're afraid that the, the police are going to come for them and they're going to end up in prison. So they're praying and they're praying and praying. The Lord sends an angel to Peter. He's, he's like chained between two guys and, and uh, the angel shows up and he knocks the chains off. These guys don't even wake up and, and the, the angel's got to wake Peter up. Peter, come on, get ready. Dude, get your shoes on. Come on, let's get moving. He's thinking he's, seeing a, he's having a dream or a vision. Leads him through the first door, reads him out, gets out past the gate, and then he's standing out there free, and the angel disappears, and he's like, that wasn't a dream. That was real. And so he runs to the house where everybody's praying. He knocks on the gate. Rhoda comes out. She doesn't answer it because they're afraid it's locked. And she comes out of the gate. She goes, who is it? He goes, it's Peter. She's so freaked out. It's Peter. She didn't even open the door. She runs back to the prayer meeting. She says, Peter's at the door. They look at her and go, you're nuts. Peter's in prison. We're praying for Peter. She's like, no, no, he's out there. And they go, no, it must be Peter's angel. Get out of here. They go back praying. She runs out, opens the door. Peter comes in. They see him. Everybody rejoices so much so he says, calm down, be quiet. Somebody might hear us. I got to ask this question. Okay, they're praying for Peter. And I get it. We pray sometimes. We don't think it's going to happen, right? We lack faith, but we're doing it because we're supposed to be obedient. They're praying. She comes and she says, Peter's there. They say, you're nuts. Peter's in prison, right? And she goes, no, no, really, it's Peter. And his, their response is this. Oh, it's probably just his angel. I don't know about you, but I'm getting up out of my seat to go see the angel. I mean, I'm thinking to myself, these guys seen so many angels. They're like, this is just like boring angels. You know, I mean, you know, there's another angel.
In the book of Revelation, chapter 5, it says that the elders are going before the throne of God with the bowls of the saints, that many times we're saying our prayers, and we've been praying the same thing for months, for years, and it hasn't happened yet, but there's bowls filling. As we pray collectively, those bowls could fill to such a point they spill out a blessing. I want to pray for revival before you leave today. And I want us all to pray. And I want us all to pray at once, out loud. And I want God to hear our prayers. And I want revival to sweep the North Shore. And then I want you to go home and I want you to keep that on your heart each and every day. Pray, pray, pray. Revival will only come when groups start praying. And that they have a willingness to do God's will. He finishes up the chapter with Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. As does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Um, if the worship team would come up. I want to just say this. Um, you know, it's interesting. We see Mark's name there in the scripture as one that greets him. You know, Jesus will never ask you to do something that he wouldn't do himself. You guys know that? Say amen. amen. Say it a little stronger. Amen. Okay. I know it's been long. Sorry. Paul wouldn't ask Philemon to do anything he wouldn't do. Mark's name's there, I think, for a reason. Because why? Because Mark and Paul had a falling out. It was so heavy, it caused division between Paul and Barnabas. But now we see Mark with Paul. Remember when he said, send, uh, send Mark, because he's profitable to me? The very thing he's asking Philemon to do, he did with Mark. And to know that Philemon was praying that Paul would be released. How could he refuse to release Onesimus then? And that God is looking for every one of us, not only to share the gospel, but to forgive those that have wronged you. To forgive and forget, move on, just lay it, lay it. Look, just lay it down. Here you go, Lord. I forgive. I'm going to forget. I choose to do this. Lord, it's your deal. You, you handle it. And if you do that, watch what God does. Amen? Let's stand. Father, we thank you for your love, Lord God. We thank you for your, your patience with us, Lord. Father, I pray for strength right now and and Lord, we're going to lift up a prayer. We're going to lift up a prayer right now. We're all going to pray at the same time, out loud, asking for God to bring revival. And you're going to hear everybody's voice petition the Lord. And for all we know, he might shake the room. But let's ask God right now. Ready, start praying for revival. Pray out.